You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Spaces between thoughts. In this podcast, Eckhart leads a live meditation on pausing our thoughts without suppressing them. Eckhart says it's more important to be aware of one's self as presence than to get lost in the mind. With practice, gradually the spaces between thoughts increase and more spaciousness grows within. Our lives become more peaceful and we move closer to a feeling of liberation. Welcome. Let's see if you can let go of thinking without suppressing thinking, but simply treat any thought that may arise as just a thought while we're here during our live meditation. Treat any thought that arises as just a thought and no more than a thought. In other words, don't become too interested in any thought that may arise. Become uninterested in thought while we're here. Or in other words, don't go along with every thought. Don't get drawn into every thought that arises. Don't follow it where it wants to take you and then you go. And then internally you're off. The thought comes in and you follow it. It it has a pulling power and then it pulls your attention into it, which is conscious attention. It goes into thought and, and off you go. You might still be sitting here. You will still be sitting here, probably. But internally you go off into following some kind of thought. You lose presence. You're not aware of yourself as the presence anymore. You're only aware of the thought and you go off. And if you don't follow every thought, but just if it does arise, there it is. Uh, you remain aware as the observing presence, which is more important than the thought. The awareness, the presence, which is who you are in your essence, is more important than the thought. It is more important to be aware of that awareness, to be aware of yourself as the awareness, as the presence, then to get involved in thought. And then you may find that sometimes, or increasingly, the space, spaces, I prefer the singular, the space between thoughts gets longer. There's more space, there's more spaciousness then within you. 
more spaces between thoughts. And of course, that's a we are practicing that here, but it should not be confined to a time period when you do your meditation. But throughout your life, you can become aware of spaces between thoughts. And you can become aware of those moments which may be getting longer when you're not thinking. Your ability to perceive clearly without interpretation, attaching labels, labeling things and people, this ability grows. And then you can find that in your daily life, you're partly engaged in thinking and partly just dwelling in the awareness. And ultimately, they don't have to be separate states. Even while you're thinking, there can still be an awareness in the background. And there's a noticeable difference in the way in which you deal with things, talk to people between those two states of being totally drawn in, into thought and being able to, in daily interactions, being able to use the mind which you need to speak and so on. You use the mind, but you're not totally 100% identified with it. So when you are engaged in a conversation or discussion, you put forward your point of view, whatever it is, but you're not totally drawn into the thought. You're not, you express what you have to express clearly in strongly if necessary, and yet you still know yourself as the awareness behind the thought. So there's no self-identification with thought. You don't get upset, disturbed by your thoughts or somebody else's thoughts. You no longer get aggressive or defensive when somebody questions the validity of your thought, thoughts. You no longer identify with mental positions, but you can still have mental positions. You don't necessarily say, I have no opinions anymore about anything. I'm so advanced spiritually that I have no opinion about anything anymore. That is not necessary because you exist both as the form, the human form, physical and mental form, and more fundamentally, you exist as the formless consciousness presence. So you don't need to totally deny your form. It has been tried in, some, in spiritual, some spiritual traditions. The Buddha tried it for several years, the story goes, and it's probably true, he virtually tried to annihilate himself by eating almost nothing, spending long, long periods in silence, having no interactions on a personal level, no longer being there as a person. And then after a few years, he realized that's not the true path to enlightenment. Then he started eating again function more normally. And out of that realization came his famous teaching of the middle way. Buddhism is sometimes described as the middle way. 
which is more than just the middle way between aestheticism and sensory indulgence. The middle way is also, and more fundamentally, the middle between form and formlessness. So you're halfway honoring your form, but not deriving your identity from your form. Form includes thinking, thought forms. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's the body and it's the mind, the thinking mind. Not deriving your identity from your body, from your whatever mind activity in the form of thought is happening in you. Realizing who you are beyond form and honoring the form as long as it's there, knowing full well that it has a limited lifespan. The physical form has a limited lifespan. And if you survive on some other level as a soul presence, a form of consciousness after the body goes, it's still a form. The realization who you are beyond form is available here and now. Don't have to wait until you die because then you still exist on the level of thought form, formation. Death does not bring you to the realization necessarily of the formless, although you might get glimpses of it, but then you run away. Being in touch with the formless dimension, the stillness, presence, the thoughtless awareness, being it, also changes who you are on the level of form. It, it has an effect. It affects that also. It affects the way in which you engage in activities. It affects the way in which you interact with other people. It affects the energy field that emanates from you because if you are completely identified with the form, physical and mental form of the personality, then your life is not going to be all that fulfilling, pleasant, peaceful, happy, never happy for very long, easily upset, easily disturbed, easily anxious, 
depressed, never fully here, always looking to the next moment to be better than this moment, looking for salvation in the future, which never comes, because when it comes, it's the present moment. All those are the characteristics of a person who is completely identified with form. I forgot to mention also there's a need for enemies that's part of that unconscious, ultimately unconscious state of being identified with form. You need enemies in some form in order to keep up and strengthen your form identity. So that's other people you can unconsciously seek conflict. You don't know, you're not going to say, I'm seeking conflict, you say, no, no. But when you observe yourself or somebody else, you can more easily see it in somebody else, how they often seek conflict, how they complain a lot about other people, what they did or failed to do or should have done. It complains about situations, so you can make a situation into an enemy also because it's all bad. And by doing that, you strengthen your form identity, ego. And you don't know that that's what you're doing. That is, becomes your reality. Nations do it, politicians do it, but okay, look at it on the collective level. Politicians of one country demonizing politicians of another country, or even demonizing an entire country. It's well known that often dictators, and but also other politicians, they need to have the external enemy and they need their people to believe in it in order to remain in power. So again, that's identification with form. Form is not only the individualized form, there's also identification with a collective form and the collective ego. And the collective ego has similar characteristics to the personal ego. And it does the same kind of thing, except with more disastrous consequences. So just as with the individual, the middle way applies, and that's wisdom to live in that way, to honor the form that you are, might be even improve it. For the individual, that means acquiring new skills, learning new things, exploring, looking after your body, nutrition, exercise, having a shower in the morning, <laughs> it's honoring the form without being identified with it because you identified with the essence, you are the essence. In the same way, a country or a collective does not need to completely deny its form identity. It's a middle way again between honoring the form, your own culture, you can honor your own culture without making others into enemies. And of course, you can appreciate other cultures in the same way you appreciate other, other people and their achievements, what they can do, what they know, the middle way. Essentially, we are here. Our meditation is, of course, to deepen the awareness, to deepen our realization of who I am and I speak for the, the one I, who I, to deepen the awareness of who I am beyond form. So that when you say I, 
When you use the word I, it has two meanings. It can either refer to the person or it can refer to the essence of who you are, the timeless being, the unconditioned consciousness, the transcendent I. To bring it to very practical, the great practice, as I've mentioned before, is to look around wherever you are and perceive whatever is there without labeling it mentally. That requires an alertness behind your sense perception. An alertness that could be compared to the state of listening to a faint sound that's somewhere and you would go in order to perceive a very distant sound. I gave an example in the a New Earth. I won't tell it now, some of you may remember it. When the master asks the disciple to listen to a distant sound of a mountain stream, and at first the disciple can't hear it, and then he becomes more alert and finally says, yes, I can hear it. The master told him to do that in answer to his question, in answer to the disciple's question, what really is Zen? And the master said, listen to the sound of that mountain stream. What mountain stream? I'm thinking about Zen. And by asking him to do that, he forced him, so to speak, or the question forced him to step out of thought into a higher alertness. At first he didn't hear the mountain stream because he was thinking. Most of his attention was absorbed by thought. And then when he couldn't hear it, and then the master said, listen more carefully. And then he had to step out of thought. He had to become more alert. And there it was. He had risen above thought. There's no tension in that. You don't go, it's just like turning up the light on a dimmer switch. And of course, then the disciple realized, well, that's the essence of Zen. The master just explained it without any word. And so in the same way, because in that state, there's no ego anymore. There's no unconscious thinking. You said in the same way, you can look around the room or whether you're inside or outside. And there may be a moment when you don't, you're not engaged in any kind of doing. You can just look around or look and listen, take in the sense perceptions and realize how wonderful it is to perceive things without attaching labels. How alive, how unusually alive things are, including inanimate objects, but even more so plants, flowers, the sky. How unusually alive these things are when you're not perceiving them through the screen of conceptualization. And there's a deep knowing behind the awareness. It's very different from how the mind knows things through thinking. So there are two modalities of knowing. One is through thinking, conceptual knowing. There's a place for that, you need it. But there's another way of knowing things. You can look at a plant, you know, you can know it conceptually, and you can know it through awareness in which case sensing becomes something that you cannot necessarily explain in words. You can sense its aliveness. You, you see or you know its beauty beyond a 
superficial sense of beauty, beauty as the essence shining through, something that's beyond the sense perception, is shining through, so to speak. Sometimes people who take certain drugs get glimpses of it because the drug switches off the conceptual mind, but then you always fall back to your usual state. So those things can be an opening for people who are very much mind-identified, but then you have to do away with the crutches and just become aware. So another way of putting it, sometimes you are a person and then you shift more to the awareness and you become the awareness. You can look at a, any scene, a room, or whatever it is, as a person, in which case you have a certain mental commentary about what you see, mental associations, you like or you dislike something that would look nice in my place, or, or my aunt gave me that. Oh, that's a lovely plant, I wonder how it's or does it have enough to I need to give it water now? All those things are fine. You are there perceiving as a person. And then when there's no thinking, just an awareness behind the sense perception, you're not really a person anymore. There's no past. There's a shift from being a person to being the awareness. And that liberates you from being trapped in the person. You can still honor the personal sense of self without being obsessed with it, identified completely with it. We'll have some questions. So I understand that our primary purpose is to dwell in the unmanifested more frequently than in the manifested. I guess my question is, if we successfully do that, how does that impact the events that occur on the manifested level? Oh, thank you. To rephrase the question just a little bit, in what way does the connectedness with that dimension change the way in which I live my life, which I act in this life, and in which I interact with other people, because it really always comes down to you. You are humanity. So if you look at how, it, how does it affect me, how does it affect one person? And if you already have had slum openings into that dimension, you might already have had some glimpses, certain changes in which manifested in your interactions with others. I don't know, I may ask you in a minute if you have already experienced some changes in your life through becoming more conscious in that way of that depth dimension in yourself. You're no longer dominated by the ego, which means the reactivity on which the ego thrives begins to subside, which means when things happen, people do this or that around you, you no longer react in the old way, which comes from your conditioning, which means other people's state of consciousness can no longer in control your state of consciousness. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. 
Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. When you're unconscious, you're dependent on what happens around you for your state of consciousness. When somebody is unconscious around you, is angry, you become angry. That's a reaction. If you feel offended by something somebody said or somebody did not respect you enough, the ego is very anxious about being respected. And so you feel somebody ignored you or disrespected you. There's enormous reactivity in the ego. Some very unconscious egos might attack you physically if you don't respect them. These are people like who will say to you, hey, I'm talking to you. <laughs> That's an ego. And you know the next step he's going to hit you. <laughs> That's an, now I'm talking to you means you're not giving me, I want your attention, I need your attention, you better give me your attention because otherwise something is going to happen. These are very unconscious egos but slightly less unconscious versions of the same ego exists in every ego. That's the reactivity, that subsides, so you're no longer at the mercy of another's state of consciousness. So an angry person does not make you angry or whatever behavior somebody manifests does not cause a reaction in you. And it improves your ability to respond, however. The difference between reaction and response is, as you probably know, reaction comes from the conditioned self, which is the ego. It reacts according to its conditioning. Response is the ability to be present in a situation and then to take appropriate action by facing the situation. Remember, I used the word looking at the situation and then action comes, responding to the situation, not out of the old conditioning. So that's one way something else happens around you. You lose something, you miss the train, you miss the bus something goes wrong, your inner state is no longer at the mercy of external conditions. So you might still have a slight fluctuation. Let's say a pleasant event makes you happy. And when something very unpleasant happens, you feel that, you feel, oh, it doesn't touch the deepest level of your being. It doesn't touch the essence of who you are. So your inner state becomes no longer subject to the changing world of external conditions. You're not at the mercy of what happens or doesn't happen. In the egoic state, you have expectations. You go into every day, into every situation, you meet somebody, or you have a business situation. The mind has expectations. 
And the expectations are very important to the egoic mind. It wants things to be in this or that way. And usually there's a clash between the reality of what is and the expectations of your mind of how things should be, how people should behave. And then you have the reality of how they do behave. That clash between the expectations in your mind, which in the egoic state you are identified with, and the reality of what is, is very painful. <laughs> and people experience every day the, gap, the painful gap between what they experience as their reality and what their mind says how things should be. People shouldn't be like that, but they are. And so that disappears, so you can approach things in that openness, your interaction with every human being, and this is perhaps the most important thing, when you no longer come from the egoic mind-made self, you will experience, and many of you know that, not perhaps as a permanent experience, but you have experienced it from time to time at least, that you can have a general sense of goodwill or benevolence that flows to everybody that you meet, that the ego does never have. When the ego meets another human being, it either wants something from that human being, wants to use him for its own purposes, the ego's purposes, or the ego feels it needs to establish superiority. The moment it meets somebody, they say, am I inferior or superior to this other human being? The ego immediately judges itself. If your ego feels inferior, you feel not up to meeting that person. You want to be superior, but you feel inferior, either because this person is more knowledgeable than you or more famous than you or is better looking than you or is physically stronger than you. And you feel kind of the ego feels diminished. But it wants to be superior, so it might try something else in some other area. It might be superior. Even little children do that when the ego begins to develop. The little child says, let's say one child's dad has a, has a Mercedes car and this child's dad has only an old VW and this child brags about my dad's car. Look, it's, so this is the ego trying to diminish the other person in order to feel bigger. This happens already to children. But the little child, if the ego is clever enough, in the little child, the one whose dad only has the old VW, the ego thinks, okay, and then suddenly he says something like, well, my uncle knows somebody who has a Ferrari <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's four times as expensive for your dad's car and, and twice as fast. And I've seen it, I've touched it. <laughs> Okay, what? Oh dear. <laughs> and this is the, the egoic games. They're very obvious in the case of children. They're a little bit more sophisticated in the case of adults, but basically the same. So this, the search for superiority, the fear of inferiority when you meet somebody wanting to use the other person or feeling the other threatened by the other person for some reason because he or she might diminish you in some way, then you become antagonistic. But in, in whatever case, there's always some kind of 
business that you have with the others. It's, there's never a true connection with the other. You, you might be play acting, you might be playing a role that you are true, you, I truly care for you. I, of course, you have to say it because it's not there, there as a reality. Or in some cases, there's a complete lack of interest in the other. You completely ignore him. He doesn't exist for you because he, he or she doesn't fit into your plans, the egoic plans of how this person cannot do anything for me. So I'm totally not interested in talking to you. You can't do anything for me. You can often judge a person's state of consciousness by how he or she treats people who can do nothing for them. And you can see the ego plays roles according to who they are interacting with. I mentioned it in A New Earth. Let's say, if you can observe it in yourself, that's a good thing. You don't beat yourself up. If you find yourself behaving differently when you speak to the, the CEO of this corporation, or you meet the Pope, or you meet whoever, you meet the richest man in the world, Bill Gates, and you meet him. How do you talk to him? And how do you talk to the janitor in your building? Is there any difference? Or how do you talk to a man in the street? If there are differences in the way you talk, then you're playing roles. The ego is playing roles according to who is interacting with. When the ego does not operate anymore, you operate from the depth dimension. Everybody is treated exactly the same. And you no longer look at human beings as to whether they can do something for you or how you can use them. Or, and most importantly, you no longer compare yourself as either being superior or inferior to anybody else. And that's incredible liberation. I remember when I was in my 20s, I was so uneasy, my ego was so uneasy, a lot of the time I felt inferior and I had to compensate with all kinds of things, quoting obscure books that others didn't know. <laughs> I didn't have a lot of physical strength, so that I couldn't, my ego couldn't identify with, with physical strength, for example, or good looks, I didn't have either, so that didn't work. Uh, but I could, be, I could be more knowledgeable than somebody else. So if there was this big guy coming in and I felt small, that I could at least show him that I am so much more intelligent and knowledgeable than he was. <laughs> so that, occasionally that worked, but nevertheless I was in a continuous state of unease. That was my normal state. <laughs> continuous feel threatened in one sense of identity. That's all egoic. That all changes. So your relationship with another human being is totally different. There is a true meeting. And since the larger section of your life is to do with how you relate to human beings that makes up a largest percentage of your life is how you relate to others, a fundamental transformation comes into that in that sense that you are now able to truly meet another human being and have a true interaction, whether you have a long-lasting relationship or just a brief interaction, doesn't matter. There's no longer the search for superiority or inferiority. You no longer feel superior to anybody. The ego doesn't like that. And you no longer feel inferior to anybody when you come from your essence. So 
all personal relationships or any kind of relationships with others become much more harmonious and then whatever you wanted you want to achieve in life is no longer dictated by the ego the ego's neediness but whatever you want to achieve in life comes to you from a deeper level of your being so you you still have goals but they are not egoically motivated goals they are realizations of what it is that wants to be created through you and the way in which you then approach these goals and work towards these goals is as we mentioned before in a state of enjoyment of the doing of it which the ego doesn't can't do it can get excited about something for a little while but as i mentioned earlier the, the moment an obstacle comes in it gets upset and negative and aggressive or withdraws completely so all your relationships flow harmoniously there is a feeling of goodwill towards other human beings no matter what their position is no matter how they fit into your life or whether they fit into your life at all or useful to you you don't even have these terms anymore in your head are they useful to me and so when you love humans like that in the deeper sense humans will do much more for you but that's not why it happens it's just a byproduct of being free of ego humans will come to you be as helpful as they can because they can sense the benevolence that's coming from you which is genuine it's not an act there's a genuine sense of connectedness and you immediately connect with the other so can you see now how that transforms your life when that dimension is present my question to you have you already had if only small experiences of that glimpses glimpses but but it fades you know you get back out in the world and yes. things start to happen and you interact with people and you know it's easy and and it's just like you know a lot of the things that you say i know them right in my spirit i know that they're true yeah right but it's almost like when you get out in the world to some extent you forget yes. it, it feels like you forget yes and of course you forget because you live when you enter the world again whatever it is business in any business you enter that energy field which in most cases is still ego dominated so you forget you get drawn back into the way in which everybody else interacts so it requires great alertness it's a big challenge but we need the challenges so to go back some people might think if i could live withdrawn in a little cabin out in nature <laughs> this is a lovely great fantasy isn't it and some people might achieve that i could live in a cabin where people leave me alone i could only interact with people that i like or nobody at all <laughs> and just interact with animals they're less much less problematic than humans i'll just live my, with my dog and the cat and my flowers and the fruit trees in the backyard and i had i have just an regular in every month i have an income that comes from somewhere 
and then I could really get into the spiritual work and make progress. Uh, and that is not necessarily true, and I would actually suggest it is untrue. Now, you might make progress for a while. The first months will be great. The first six months will be great. But if there were truly an absence of challenges, except very minor ones, maybe an occasional mosquito or something like that, <laughs> in the absence of challenges, your level of alertness would decrease, most probably, unless you are one of the exceptions. There's always exceptions. So you would be like a flower or plant that grows in a greenhouse, protected in a nursery, protected from the elements, and of course it grows faster. It can grow, but it doesn't have that inner strength because the, the, the tree, there even I hear from gardeners that some gardeners, even when a shoot comes out, which is sprouting out of the soil, in some cases, they put more soil on top of it. And by struggling to get to the second layer of soil, the plant gets stronger. And so it's only when you're forced through challenges to really be present. You need the challenge, and your challenge is to go back into the world and be surrounded by the egoic state, energy field where you work, and bring in this new energy. And then it may well, it spread. It tends to affect others in some small ways at first, and then sometimes bigger ways, because state of consciousness spreads. An unconscious human being spreads unconsciousness. You can go to a committee meeting or any kind of meeting, and if there's one deeply unconscious person, pulls everybody else down to, to, to into, into unconscious reactivity. And one conscious person can also make a huge difference, for example, in a group environment. So that's your challenge, knowing that there's a huge gravitational pull of the old consciousness still there, the egoic consciousness. It's been around for a long time. It seems like part of the challenge is that operating in that way in the world or in you know, some personal relationships can be perceived as a weakness. Yes, that's true. But that would be a misinterpretation of somebody's ego because you're actually connected to a power that's far greater than ego when you are, come from non-ego, but sometimes to the ego that looks like weakness. I remember some uh, movies going back a long time. There was a series about a kung fu master or something like that, and he was very meek and mild. He always went, went about like that. And, and everybody took him to be very weak. And he had a little a flute, a little instrument, and he would play it. And in, in every episode, he would meet these big guys, and often he would meet evil big guys. And he, so they all said, who is this weakly? And then when th he always resolved difficult situations, often involving violence on the part of these unconscious people. And in the decisive moment, he would suddenly go into his kung fu mo mode, uh, and he would go. Wah, wah, wah. Uh, uh. And and then immediately he went back to peace and he would play his flute. <laughs> A similar device was used in the old. Um, there was this TV thing about he was a, a detective 
in, maybe in San Francisco, he was always wearing this old raincoat, Colombo. And uh, so he looked like he was kind of almost stupid because he did not project himself. He did not project any ego. He just went about like this. And everybody under it thought he was weak and stupid. And all and the satisfying thing in every episode was that these criminals all looked down on him. They were so superior to this stupid guy. And in the end, of course, he caught them. So he did not project an ego. So that is interesting. Thank you. <laughs> I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to Eckhart Tolle, Essential Teachings, the podcast. You can follow these essential teachings on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you haven't yet, go to Spotify and follow this podcast. Join us next week for more enlightened teachings from Eckhart Tolle. Thank you for listening. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, essential central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions.